just bless it to the hearts and minds of the hearers. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, church lesson number two. Church lesson number two. We're going to be looking at Acts 14, 21 to 28. I was going to take you into chapter 15, decided not to. Uh, <clears throat> very, very important. These, 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 this lesson, last week, the next lesson, these are very, very important lessons for you folks. We say that we use the Bible as our rule of faith and practice. Well, if that be the case then, we've got to go to the Word of God and follow the pattern that is set forth in the Word of God. And that way, if somebody asks me, for instance, why do you do what you do, I can give them an answer. And that's very important because the Bible says, you know, be ready to give an answer to anybody that asks you. Isn't that right? And so what I find then, as long as I stick to the Word of God, I have an answer. And uh, so we want to adhere to the Word of God as close as possible. And so that message last week on the church, I sent it out to several people and and uh, got a, just a tremendous response back. Uh, this lesson this week, and I'm going to introduce you to, if you look down at the bottom of that page of paper, if you, I'm going to introduce you to next week's message. And uh, uh, we're going to just have answers, 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 and more answers. How's that? Say, that'll give you answers. Well, let's begin tonight. This is church lesson number two, and we're just going to stay right here in Acts 14, 21 to 28. And uh, we're going to look at the purpose of the church, what the church does, missions, the working of that, what did these missionaries do when they were sent out. And uh, remember, the Word of God has got to be our rule of faith and practice. Not just faith, faith and practice. Practice. In other words, what we do, Okay. So here we are tonight, and so let's begin. Acts chapter 14, verse 21. It said, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. That's an introduction to what they're doing. So last week, if you remember, we looked, and these guys were sent out from the church at Antioch to do this mission Circle, if you please. And now they're, they're going to do that circle and then head back to Antioch, okay? That's where we're going to wind up tonight. But I want you to see the things that took place here. Verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Well, you know, Paul and Silas, they knew something about that. Paul and Barnabas, they knew something about that. And uh, so as we look at this now, I want you to see something. Uh, If you look at verse 21, 22, you'll see the pattern that is laid out. All right? And that pattern is this. They preached the word of God. And as missionaries, that's what you do. You go and you preach the Word of God. And uh, 
Then for those that are saved, the next thing you do, it said they, they preached the gospel to that city and had taught many. The second thing that happens after you preach the word of God to those that respond to the word of God and are saved, then you've got to take the time to teach them something. You've got to teach them. Very, very, very important that we teach them. And uh, we're going to talk more about that here in a minute. The teaching of the Word of God changes everything. And so that's the thing that stabilizes the church, stabilizes the believer. Uh, and uh, so that's just the way it was when we were on the mission field. That's what I did. I preached to them, those that respond to it. Then we start teaching them, teaching them the difference between law and grace, teaching them what real salvation is, conversion, and so on and so forth. And uh, then it says, and they returned again to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. But now verse 22 says, confirming the souls of the disciples. Now watch this, confirming. What does that mean? What do you mean confirming the souls of the disciples? The way you do that, there's just two things that you do. One, you question them about their conversion. And what about your conversion? Give me a testimony. What happened to you? You know, we talk about being under conviction of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we talk about Christ working in our lives, showing us. Uh, we talk about us being converted, changed. We talk about, you know, five, 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, so on. You see, to confirm the souls of the disciples is to sit down and talk to them to make sure why are you here? I'm going to show you something about that here and, and before we get out of here. Why are you here? Were you converted? Did God do something in your heart? How do you now view sin? What happened? Well, what'd you do with your old idols? <laughs> what'd you do with your old uh, idol books? What'd you do with uh, your old life? And so what you find then to confirm the souls means that they sit down. The first thing they did, they questioned them. And uh, when we were on the mission field, I met a lot of missionaries that come out of Africa and other places. They'd come to our place, stop and go on and come to the States and things. But uh, that's what we would do. We'd take the time to question them. Tell me when... Tell me when you were converted. Tell me about your salvation. What happened to you? And uh, that was ever so important that they would sit there and tell me what happened. Were they, what happened? Tell me. If God done something in your life, you're going to be able to talk about it. Because there's going to be a change, you see. Now remember, when it comes to Christianity, there's a lot of people that have a Christian consciousness, but they don't have a Christian character. And uh, 
You see, that's what confirming the souls of the disciples is all about. I just don't want you to see this as a good fellowship. I, this isn't the moose clubs and hoot owls and whatever, you know. No, no, no. There's something different going on here. And so they questioned, questioned and questioned. And that that was confirming the soul, that was the first thing they did was question. Tell me about your salvation. Tell me what happened. Tell me about it. We were preaching the word of God and what happened to you? And uh, the second thing they did was look at the testimony. In other words, I'm going to question you and I want you to answer these questions. But then I, I want you to give me a clear testimony of what happened to you. I want you to give me a clear testimony that God done something in your life. That God has changed you. I want a clear testimony. They were confirming the souls. And uh, that is so important. That number one, the questioning. Tell me when you were saved. What God did to you. What happened to you? Tell me about the change in your life. What's happened? Give me a testimony of that. And so they were confirming the souls of the disciples. Then it says, and exhorting them to continue in the faith. After they confirmed them, they encouraged them. And that's what you find here, exhorting them to continue in the faith. They were encouraged to continue in the faith. Very important, isn't it? Let me make sure that you're saved. Give me a testimony. Second thing, now that you've said this, that you're a Christian, now that you've told me that God done something in your life, I'm going to encourage you now to continue in the faith. All right? Very, very important to continue in the faith. You see that? And then the next thing is simply this. They informed them about the struggle. They informed them about the struggle. So they preached to them, then they taught them, then they confirmed them, then they encouraged them, then they informed them. Look at the last part of verse 22. And that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. That's a polite way to say, you continue in the faith and they're not going to like you. If you continue in the faith, you're going to find that your heathen friends are not going to like you. Your parents might not like you. Your children might not like you. Your neighbors might not like you anymore. Uh, your heathen gods aren't going to like you anymore. So on and so forth. And so what you find here, uh, with those five things, that's, that those five things are the five things that missionaries that are diligent... In the work of God, that's what they do. All right? And actually, in all reality, uh, that's what we should do here all the time. I mean, I, I, should, I should have 
that going on here. I ought to be able to walk up to all of you and confirm your soul as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. For you to look me in the face, let me ask you, when, when was you saved? Where was you saved? When did God deal with you? And, and you ought to be able to tell me what happened. And then as I look at that, I say, all right, good. Give me a testimony of your salvation. I want you to look me in the face and tell me on this date. You know, you might forget the date, but let me tell you, you know, you'll know something about it. God convicted me of my sin. I saw myself as a savior. God saved me, changed me, and I've been fighting with it ever since. Right? I mean, and so what we find is this. One of the things that that does, now listen to me, this is very important. One of the things that does is this. Here in America, we don't think about it too much. But behind the Iron Curtain, the one thing that they had to have to have a Christian funeral, they had to have the information from the dead person so they could have a Christian funeral. You get it? You see, that's very, very important. In other words, what you find is this, is that that deceased person had given a clear testimony, that that deceased person had lived the life, that deceased person had, uh, you didn't have to question, well, you know, her testimony, his testimony, their testimony kind of flaky, you know. I never did really get a clear testimony out of them. The one thing that they worked at was this. I want you to be able to look me in the face and tell me, you know, has God saved you? I want you to look me in the face and tell me something about your salvation. I want you to tell me how that changed you, you see. And uh, so true salvation is radical. It changes people. It doesn't it? Well, that way when they had a funeral, whether it be for a young person or an old person, right? They had something to say over that person. They had something to say about that person. And that is extremely important. Isn't it? How would you like to be in my position and we're going to have a funeral for a church member but yet somebody asked me said what about her testimony his testimony and I say well they never did really give me a clear testimony but they were here well big deal Muslims you can say the same thing about them every Sunday or whatever the Catholics they're always there and so on you see Presence does not mean conversion. Okay? Presence does not represent conversion. No, action, your personal action represents conversion. Okay? All right, let's go on now. Verse 23. This is very important. Verse 23 is extremely important. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Now I want you to look at the little note over there on the right-hand side. 
It said that the Greek word tino, which means to stretch, to be a hand reacher or voter by raising the hand, genitive, to select or appoint, choose, ordain. In other words, what they did when it says and they had ordained them elders in every church, it wasn't a Presbyterian type of thing where the headshed comes down here and says, you, you, and you are now the boss of this organization. Right? No, 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 no. When it said they, they had ordained, that means they appointed some, they went back there, and that church body voted. See that? That's the word that's used right there. Hand up, okay? Uh, they voted who their leaders would be. And so we find them. You see, they now mark this. Note, note this now. Get, get, listen to me. They didn't have pastors for these churches, did they? No, 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 no. A lot of churches we went to behind the Iron Curtain didn't have pastors because they were in prison. All right? They had guiding elders. And see, they did not have pastors, so they voted in some leadership. They had to have leadership. And so they voted in these elders, these older people, these stabilized Christians, as their leadership to lead them until they had a pastor. Very, very important for you and me to see that. See, they weren't, they voted in these elders. Why? In every church. Now I want you to notice something. Wasn't a universal church, was it? No, no, no. Each church was individual. And it was an individual body. And so they voted in these elders because they had to have some leadership. Leadership is so important. Listen to me, folks. It's just a, it's just a fact we, you got to deal with. You got to deal with leadership. Uh, I, I, can, I can remember back in the 50s when I was a little kid. Uh, the, the circus, the Barnum and Bailey Circus came to Indianapolis, I think it was, or Muncie. And they were advertising all this stuff, you know. This two-headed man. Right? And uh, what this guy was was a Siamese twin, you know. That they, they couldn't take apart. So anyway, I never will forget. Well, as a little kid, I looked at him and I thought, that's weird, man. That's, that's freaky. And you know something that hadn't changed? Any organization with got too many heads, it's a freak, isn't it? And so what they did here, they voted in these elders to keep this church body stable until God gave them a pastor. They could keep on functioning. They could keep on learning. They could keep on doing what needed to be done until they had a pastor. That's why it's so important 
that I come here and teach the Word of God to you and pray that God would lead some of you, leave some of you, older Christians, here. That way if I drop dead, you guys can keep the church moving forward until God provides you with a pastor. You see, that's important, isn't it? Now, I'm not planning on dropping dead no time soon. You know, maybe 30 years from now or something. See, I'd be 105 then. Okay. But at any rate, I want you to realize they voted these guys in. The church body looked at it, and, and uh, as they went by there, they said, all right, let's, let's get it together. You know, the missionaries were there. All right, let's, let's do this. And I've known missionaries in the Philippines and in Africa and other places that done this very thing. They got, some, they got them together and they voted on certain men in that congregation uh, to be the elders of the congregation, to keep it going, to keep it organized, keep it moving. And uh, that's exactly what happened right here. What does a missionary do with a church when he's going to leave that church and go somewhere else and start another church or something? Does he just walk off and leave it with no leadership? No, no, no. No, he gets it together. They talk about it. They, they nominate some men to be that leadership. And then they vote on it. You see that? That's how it works. That's the New Testament pattern. See it? Okay. That's why it's so important. Watch this now. That's why it's so important that they do those first four things. They've already preached. That's why it's important for them. They taught them. They confirmed them. They encouraged them. They informed them. That's why that's first in this passage of Scripture. Because that's got to happen first. Verse 21 and 22 has it must happen first before you can do verse 23. See that? That's important. That's how it works. See it? It's right there in front of you. And so we see that that has to happen first and then they can come back and begin to organize that body Get some elders there that will keep things going for them. And uh, keep them moving on. Alright, now verse 24. And after they had passed throughout Poseida, they came to Pamphylia. Now watch verse 25 and 26. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Athaliah. And thence, and thence, in other words, after that, sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. You see that? The church at Antioch sent them out to do thus, thus, and thus, to preach the word of God as missionaries. The church of Antioch sent them out. Now they've done this work and now they're going to come back to Antioch. Alright? That's how New Testament missions is supposed to work. The missionary goes out 
he does his work, and uh, then he comes back and gives a report to the church. That's extremely important. Now, so going back to the church that sent them out, in other words, their home church, that's what's happening here. Folks, what you're looking at here is the New Testament pattern for missions. You see, when we go through the Word of God, you'll find that we, we're not do, just doing something. I want you to know this, that and never forget it as long as I'm here. I've got a reason for everything I do. I, I, I do nothing without a reason, without a cause, without a scripture. And that's extremely important. Because if, if, we, if, if we say that the New Testament is our book of faith and practice, then we must first of all know the book and then have the faith to practice it. You see that? In other words, if I was going to say, all right, I'm going to go out and I'm going to start another church. Well, I'd preach. Then for those that are saved, I'd start teaching them. And then for those that were saved, made a profession of faith, I would be very inquisitive about this. Right? Very inquisitive. All right, now, watch what happens. There in verse 26, And then sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. You see that? One of the most important things we can have, listen, if you do not know what the end of your work is, you have no goal to work for. That's why it's so important for you, for me, to be able to look at the end. Of, why, are you, why are you doing that? Because the end product. There's something there. They knew when their work was going to be fulfilled. You see that? And uh, boy, there's one thing about it. I've seen people and they start, they're working, working, working. I, I, what, what you working for? What, what you working for? Well, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. That's tragic. Because listen, if, if you never know what the end is, you're in trouble. And uh, that's why... I've told a lot of people over the years, time after time after time, I've told a multitude of people, listen, if you want to do something, start with the end. Write, write, write your conclusion first. And then back up and start writing how you're going to get there. You might say, wow, well, did you know that a whole lot of military strategy starts off like that? I mean, when it comes to D-Day, all the stuff you hear about D-Day, where do you think that started? Well, I'm going to get I'm gonna get a million troops together here. What for? Well, I don't know yet, but I'm going to get them together for something. 
And uh, I, I'm going to get 500 bombers and 2,000 dive bombers. What are you getting them for? Well, I don't know, but I'll, I'll figure it out in a minute. No, no. You start at the bottom. D-Day. What is it? We're going to cross this channel. And buddy, we're going to go into this beach and that beach and this beach and that beach. You know? Okay. Now, how are we going to do that? Now you start at the top and you start working your way down. Okay? I do that with 90% of everything I do. Just like this funeral. I didn't start at the top first. No. I started at the bottom. And I started at the top. Started going down the list. You see, listen, it makes things simple. All right? Uh, just like landing. Landon, you want to get a job? Well, you write down at the bottom of a page of paper the job you want, whether it be at Lowe's, Home Depot, Leroy's Garage Shop, whatever, right? Okay, write that down at the bottom of the page of paper, then start at the top saying, all right, how do I get from here to there? All right? Listen, without direction, you're in trouble. I'll give you one last illustration, then we'll move on. When I was going through ranger school, we were down at Santa Rosa Sound down in Florida. And midnight. The only thing you could see out there on this little island, they'd taken an old military flashlight, put a red filter on it, taped it to a stick, and stuck it on the beach. That's it. <laughs> that was it. And we run six man rafts. And when we took off, I told the guys that was on my raft, I said, fellas, See that red light way across there? Mm-hmm. I said, I want you to keep your eyes right on that red light. I don't want you to look around. I don't want you to look to see if a shark's fixing to bite your leg off or nothing. I want you to just watch that red light. We were like the sixth or seventh raft out, but we were the first in. You know why? Those other guys looking around, some of them was out there doing this and and I mean, you know, all over the place and trying to find how to get back. The reality of it is this. Set a goal. Keep your eye on it. All right? Set a goal. Keep your eye on it. Very important. And uh, sometimes it's hard work. She'll tell you. I spent seven years working on my doctorate. And... Uh, I, when I finished, when I finished, I didn't even want to read a comic. I mean, I, I'd done so much reading, I didn't want to read it. If you'd have sent me a letter, I'd have gave it to her and said, "Read it to me." My goodness! But you see something? Set a goal, then go for it. All right. That, that's very important for all of you to know, and that's what they did here. All right. Committed to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. See that? They fulfilled the work there in verse twenty-six. They did it. Somebody had to tell them what to do, amen? Make it clear. Other than that, it wouldn't have been fulfilled. Now watch this, verse 27. Now they come back, and that's the way it's what missionaries are supposed to do. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, 
I like that. They gathered the church together. That was that local, visible body. That's the only thing the New Testament knows anything about. A, a church is a local, visible body. That's the only thing the New Testament knows anything about. All right? They gathered the church together. They rehearsed all that God had done with them. That's exactly what a missionary is supposed to do. He's supposed to leave, go out, do the work, come back, and tell the church all that God has done. Do you see that? Rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. They assembled the church and gave a report. See that? Ladies and gentlemen, what you're looking at is a pattern, a New Testament pattern for New Testament missions. You're, you're looking at how a New Testament church should function. All right? But now, I've got to end with this. I want all of you to see this. See, I, I put down there next week. Let me show you something. As soon as you do something right, the devil is going to do something wrong. Okay? So now watch this. I'm going to show you the beginning of something, all right? I'm going to show you right now tonight the beginning of something. And it's still a struggle today. But you're going to find out. You're going to see, you're going to see the beginning of it right here in just a couple of minutes. All right, watch this. Acts 15, 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Oh, now look at Acts 15, 5. But there arose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Guess what you're looking at right here? You're looking at the beginning of the fight between law and grace in Christianity. That's the first scripture and the New Testament is going to really clarify that for you. And you still fight with it today, don't you? You got to be baptized to be saved. You got to be circumcised to be saved. You got to work to be saved. On down the line. Look at this. But now I want to show you something. Don't miss this. Don't miss what I'm about to tell you. It's extremely important. You ready? Those two words, it says, which believed. In 15.5. See that? Acts 15.5. Which believed. Okay? What makes this so dangerous is you had professing Pharisees now teaching a heresy. Now teaching something wrong. Now adding something to grace. That's why the book of Galatians is so important for us. That's why you have this fight between law and grace. Galatians and the book of James. James talks about your life, but Galatians, look what he does. Man, he tears the law all to pieces in, in Galatians. 
That's where Paul said, I'll not frustrate the grace of God. The word frustrate means to make void. So these, these Pharisees right now, they professed, okay? But they made void the grace of God by adding circumcision to it. That's why it's so important. This, this, this passage 14 and 15 is so important to the New Testament church. It is extremely important to the function of the New Testament church. Because what you find, you see, these Pharisees, well, they didn't have an opportunity up here at the top to confirm these guys. It says, there arose. They came down from Judea and taught. You see that? And so they weren't there then. They said they believed, but now they were going to come in there and teach a heresy. Do you see that? That's the beginning of adding an act, a work, a ceremony to God's amazing grace. That's where it started, right there. Which believed. In other words, these guys professed that, just like the people do today. In all these heretical Christian religions, they profess that they are believers. But when you talk to them, you find out, no, this is a sneaky snake I'm talking to. They're lying to me. There's something going on here. You say, you tell me, you tell me what you believe, and I'll tell you what you are. And so now you've got these Pharisees which believed, right? And look what they're doing. They're teaching heresy. If I went around here and asked these heretical churches, their so-called pastors, are you a believer? Yes. Yes, yes. But then, when I look at their doctrine, I'd find out, man, you fit in this category right here. You say you believe. But in practice, you prove that you don't. See that? So now next week, we're going to jump into Acts 15 and start right here at verse 1 and go down to about verse 23 or something like that and uh, show you uh, what's going to happen here, especially with those elders. This was the beginning of the fight between law and grace. These people, they come down to do this teaching. They were professing believers, but they weren't believers. They were believers in their own right, but they were not converted believers. You say they believed, but if you said, now do you believe you're saved by grace and nothing else? Well, a lot of these heretics will tell you, yeah, I believe you're saved by grace. Plus, right? And so I want you to realize this tonight, folks. Uh, we're going to get into that next week. That's where Acts 15 is going. All right. Time is gone tonight. Uh, so let's gather around and Let's pray.